0: Hello, uh, welcome to this uh, short story reading program. My name is Onya. I used to do the poetry program here, and I hope you'll enjoy the story I have selected. It's called Sarah, and it was written by Mary Lavin. Now, some of you may have known Mary Lavin as she cycled in her black long black coat through Sandymount. She was born in 1912 and died in 1996, she wrote two novels, but she devoted herself to the short story and she was suitably awarded the James Tate Black Memorial Prize and two Guggenheim Fellowships and the Catherine Mansfield Prize for short stories. Her daughter lived in, in Sandy Manca- near Sandy Man Castle, Valdi, and she has a daughter. Uh, she had two daughters, actually, and a son and uh, her daughter Kathleen, um, Mary Lavin's granddaughter, is also a writer and a recognised writer. So I hope you'll enjoy this one now. It's called Sarah. Sarah had a bit of a bad name. That was the worst the villager said of her. Although Sarah had three children and was unmarried. And although, moreover, there was a certain fortuity in her choice of fathers for them, She was a great worker, tireless and strong, and several people in the village got her in by the day to scrub. Like women with sons and young brides, took care not to hire her. But more often than not, they were the very people who were kindest to her. Not one of the children was born in the workhouse, and it was the most upright matron in the village that slapped life into each one of Sarah's children. She's a good girl at heart, said Mrs Muldoon. We're all born with a tendency to evil. How could that poor girl know any better, said another neighbour, living with two rough brothers without a mother or a father or a sister. And whoever remembers any talk of her having a father herself, said Mrs Muldoon. If Sarah had been one to lie in bed on a Sunday morning in Miss Mass, for example, The villagers would have shunned her and crossed their breasts when they spoke of her. There was a greater understanding in their hearts for sins against God than there were for sins against the church. And Sarah found it easy to keep the commandments of the servant of the Lord, even though she found it somewhat difficult to keep the commands of the Lord himself. She did the stations as often as anyone. She never missed Mass. And if there was a Lady Day or a Holy Day, when the countryside gathered at the holy well in the next village, Sarah was always a credit to her own village, with her shoes off, walking on flinty stones, doing her penance for all the world like a holy nun. If any comments were made by the other villagers, Sarah's neighbours were quicker than Sarah herself to take offence. But with all this, they tempered their charity with prudence on occasions. And when Kathleen Kedrigan, wife of Oliver Kedrigan and a newly married woman who had recently come to the village spoke to the neighbours of getting Sarah in to keep the place clean for her while she was in Dublin for a few days to see a doctor. There wasn't a woman in the place who didn't feel it her duty to step across to Kedrigan's and to offer a word of advice. I know she has a bit of a bad name said Kathleen the wife But she's a great worker, she can scrub a floor till it's as white as a piece of rope and she can bake better than anyone I ever knew except for my own mother. All the same, said the neighbour, I'd advise you to think twice before I'd leave her minding your house while you're away. She's only coming in for a few hours in the morning to give the floors a scrub and to bake bread for Oliver. He's going to take his dinner across the field at his brother's place. All the same, said another neighbour, I wouldn't have her near the house at all if I were you. And who else would I get? Why, do you want anyone? Sure, you're only gone for two to three days. Two to three days is a long time to leave the house in the care of a man, said Kathleen. I'd sooner let the roof fall in if I were you than trust that brazen thing about the house. It isn't her I'd trust. It's Oliver, said Kathleen. Oh, it's not right to trust any man too far. Kathleen Kedrigan smiled and her pale papery face showed her contempt for the older women. Oliver isn't that sort. She's a good looking girl said one woman stung by Kathleen's smile. She has a secret way of looking at men said the other woman. I suppose you know your own business but I don't think it's right to trust any man even the greatest saint that ever walked with a woman like Sarah. I trust Oliver with every fancy woman in Ireland said Kathleen. All right, said the two women speaking at once. It's your man, not ours. I don't know why we should worry about him. The women went out and Kathleen watched after them resentfully. She may not have been altogether serious about hiring Sarah Murray, but as she closed the door, she made up her mind definitely. She was goaded on by a passionate pride in her own legitimate power over Oliver. She could trust him and she'd let everyone see that she could. The women went down the road and as they went they talked about Oliver Kedrigan. I don't know why he ever married that bleached out doll. I wonder why she's going to Dublin. Isn't Dr Dignan good enough for her? She doesn't look like a girl who would have a healthy child. As they passed Sarah's cottage they saw Sarah at the gate. She's expecting someone, they said to one another. And as they went homeward they twitched their shoulders uneasily filled with a strange uncontrollable envy at her youth and her brazen mind and her slow leopardy beauty. Sarah came over to Kedrigan's the morning Kathleen was going and made her a cup of tea before she left. She carried her bag down to the bus for her as well and so Kathleen didn't see the hired girl and Oliver standing in the sunlight as the neighbours saw them an hour later when he called her to hand him out the tin of sheep rattle off the dresser. She handed it up to him as he sat on the blue cart and she laughed at the way the horses rattled his trapping restlessly. They looked a far finer pair than Oliver and Kathleen had ever looked. Kathleen was anemic and thin-boned. Oliver and Sarah were peasants. They had the same quick gestures and warm colouring and they had the same curious gold eyes. She handed him up the tin of rattle and Oliver looked down and laughed and he said did you ever rub rattle on your cheeks he said when he saw the rough colour that stained her face. She put up a bare arm and she wiped it across her face. The healthy red deepened with a capricious temper. But she laughed again when he went down the road and she watched him until the cart rattled out of earshot in the distance where it looked no more than a toy cart with a toy horse and a still young farmer made out of painted wood. Kathleen came home the following Friday. Her house was cleaner than it had ever been. The boards shone white. The windows glinted. There was bread cooling on the window sill, and the step outside the door was whitened with lime. She paid Sarah and Sarah went home. Her brothers were glad to have her back again. She gave them the money. They were glad to have her cook some good, wholesome food again and to wash and scrub again. Her children were glad to have her home again too. They were getting big and their uncles were making them work, piling turf and running after the sheep like collie dogs. Sarah worked hard for a few months and one night as she handed round the potato cakes at supper Her elder brother took a sharp look at her. For God's sake, he said to the younger brother, for God's sake will you look at her. Sarah tossed her hair back and sat down. She ate her supper and drank two big cups of tea. I'm going out, she said, and went out the door into the wagon blue evening light. Her going was nonchalant and independent and her slow gait had a strange rhythmic grace. When she was gone, the brothers shuffled their feet and exchanged looks. Did you see her? Did you see her, said Pat. Holy God, but something has got to be done about her this time. Ah, what the hell is the use talking like that? What's to be done? Tell me that, what's to be done? If the country is full of blackguards, what can we do about it? I thought the talking the priest gave her the last time would put some sense into her. He said to me that a home was the only place for the like of her. But I told him that we'd not have any part in putting her away. Wasn't that right? Wasn't that right? Sure. My God, what would we do without her here? You must have a woman in the house. And the brats need their mother with them till they go to work, although that won't be long now. They're shaping into fine, strong boys. Still, I must give the priest some answer. Tell him you can get no right of her at all and let him tackle the job himself. I suppose it won't be too long till he sees for himself. It's a good job the Kedrigans didn't notice her or they'd never have given her an hour's work over there. How could they have noticed anything? Wasn't that six months ago? Pat? Well? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Can't you quit your hinting and speak out? I'm only wondering, who do you think is the father? When you didn't know the father of the last one, you're not likely to know the father of this one. The priest said, that if she didn't tell him the name of the father, he'd make the child able to talk and make it name the guilty man. How well he didn't do it, after all. Sarah was careful not to let him get a sight of the child till the whole thing was put back into the back of people's minds with the thoughts of laying the foundation stone of the school. She can do the same with this one, said Pat, rising up and hitting his pipe against the chimney piece. I'm going across to the quarry field now to see if the heifer is all right. When Sarah comes back, tell her to have the butter ready for Mick Grady to take up to Dublin in the morning. I won't mention anything else, of course. Uh, Why would you be mentioning? What is there to mention, he said. Won't it all be beyond saying in a few more weeks, when everyone in the village will see for themselves? I suppose you're right. We'll come back and I'll give you a hand bringing in that heifer if she's in a bad way. Oh, the heifer will be all right. Sarah went out every night after that and when dusk began to crouch over the valley and her brothers kept silent tongues in their heads about the child she was carrying. She worked better than ever before and she sang at her work. She carried the child deep in her body and she had a strange primitive grace on her rounded figure. She did not lose one shred of her tawny feline beauty and she faced the abashed congregation at late Mass every Sunday. She walked halfway down the aisle and went to her usual place, in the fifth pew under the third station. Mrs Kedrigan was expecting the long-delayed heir in a few weeks' time too, but she didn't go to Mass. The priest came to the house to her. She was looking bad and she crept from chair to chair to chair around the house and at night she went out for a bit of a walk in the dark. On the back road. She was bloodless and self-conscious, her nerves were getting badly frayed and Oliver used to have to sit up half the night and hold her moist palms in his until she fell asleep but she was frightened and petulant and in bursts of hysteria she called Oliver a cruel brute. One evening she was drinking a drop of tea made by the gossip monger who had called in to inquire for her health. She had just had a bad scene with Oliver and he had gone down to the post office to see if there were any letters from the maternity hospital in Dublin, where she had engaged a bed for the next month. When he came back, he had a letter in his hand, but he waited till they were alone before he gave it to her. Before he gave it to her, he told her what was in it. It was an anonymous letter and it had named him as the father of the child, Sarah Marie. Was going to bring into the world in a few weeks' time. He told Kathleen it was an unfair, unjust accusation. Kathleen took the letter and when she read it, she threw it on the floor. Two unusual spots of colour came into her cheeks. For God's sake, say something, said Oliver. You don't believe the bloody letter, do you? Kathleen didn't answer and the red spots grew more hectic in her cheeks. You don't believe it. Katie, you don't believe it, do you? And he went down on his knees and he put his head in her lap. What am I to do, Katie? You'll do nothing, said Kathleen, speaking for the first time. You'll do nothing. Aren't you innocent? Take no notice of that letter. She stooped down and with a grotesque gesture picked up the letter. She put it under a plate on the dresser and began to get the tea ready with the slow, steady, tedious journeying back and forth across the silent kitchen. Oliver stood over the fire for a little while and once or twice he looked at his wife with suspicion and curiosity. I'll take the letter, he said, walking to the dresser. You'll do nothing of the kind, said Kathleen, and she took it out from under the plate. This is where the letter belongs. There was a sharp sound of crackling and a paper ball went into the heart of the flames. Oliver watched it burning and although he thought it odd that he didn't see the writing on it as it burned... He still believed that it was his letter that was curling into black scrolls in the grate. The very next evening, Sarah was sitting by the fire, as Kathleen had been, sitting by her fire. She was drinking a cup of tea, and she didn't look up when the brothers came in. No one spoke, and Sarah began to get up. Her brother Pat pushed her down onto the chair again. The tea slopped on the floor. The cup shattered against the range. Is this letter yours? Did you write it? Said the older brother, holding out a letter addressed to Oliver Kedrigan that had gone through the post and had been opened. Did you write this letter? What business is it of yours? asked Sarah, trying to rise again. Sit down, I tell you, said Pat, pushing her back. Can't you answer my question? Did you write this letter? Sarah stared dully at the letter. The yellow-brown eyes flickered fire. Give it to me, she snarled, and she snatched it out of his hand. What business is it of yours, you thief? Did you hear that? The younger man shouted. Did you hear that? She called you a thief. Did you hear that? Shut up, you, said Pat to the other man, and answer me this, you, said he, shaking the girl. Is it true what it says in this letter? How would I know what it says in the letter? And what if it is true? Is it any business of yours?' I'll show you whose business it is, Pat said, and ran into the room, off the kitchen. He came out with an armful of clothes, a red dress, a brown coat and a few odd garments. Sarah watched him, fascinated. He ran into the kitchen and looked at his sister, and then he looked around the room in hesitation. Suddenly he saw the open door in the yard and he ran towards it. He threw out the armful of clothing and ran back into the room. He came out with few more things in his arms and a red cap and he threw them out the door too. Do you know it's raining, said the younger man. What do I care if it's raining? He went in again and he came out with a picture frame, box of powder and a little green velvet box, stuck all over with pearly shells. Oh, give me my box, give me my green box, Sarah said, springing into life after her long immobility. The other brother was impelled into action too. go after it if you want it he shouted and he pushed her out into the rain she fell onto the slab stone of the doorway and her brothers shut out the sight from their eyes by banging the door closed that it ought to teach her he said one carrying on with the married man no one is going to say i put up with that kind of thing I didn't mind the first time there was a rich man like old Malloy that could pay for his mistakes, but I wasn't going to stand for a thing like this. You're sure it was Kedrigan? I sure didn't you see the letter yourself. Wasn't it her writing? And didn't Mrs Kedrigan give it to me herself this morning? She denied it, Pat. She did, and so did he, I suppose. Well, she can deny it somewhere else now. I suppose she'll go down to the Gilroy's. Let her go where she bloody well likes and shut your mouth, you... If it wasn't for you wanting the money for the harness, she wouldn't have gone near Kedrigan's in the first time. Keep away from that window. Can't you sit down? Sit down, can't you? All this took place at nine o'clock on Tuesday night. The next morning at eleven o'clock, Oliver Kedrigan came from the fair in another town home across the fields. He called in across the yard to to his wife. Kathleen, Kathleen, hand me out the rattle, it's on top of the dresser. Kathleen Kedringen came to the door and she had the rattle in her hand. "'You won't be troubled with any more letters,' she said. Oliver laughed self-consciously. "'That's a good thing, anyhow,' he said. "'Give me the rattle.' Kathleen held the tin of red markings in her hand, but she didn't move. She leaned against the jam of the door. "'I see you didn't hear the news.' "'What news?' Ah, "'Sarah Murray got what was coming to her last night. "'Her brothers turned her out of the house.' and threw all her things after her. Oliver's eyes darkened. That was a cruel class of a thing for brothers to do. Where did she go? She went where the like of her belongs, into the ditch on the side of the road. Oliver said nothing, but his limbs stiffened with resentment. His wife watched him closely and she clenched her hands. You can spare your sympathy, she won't need it. Oliver looked up. Did she stay out all night in the rain? She did, said Kathleen, and stared at him. At least that's where they found her in the morning. As dead as a rat, and her child dead beside her. Her pale eyes held him. His own eyes stared uncomprehendedly into them. She began to move back into the house away from his stare. He looked down at her hand that held the tin of red sheep rattle, Give me the rattle, he said, and before she had time to hand it to him, he repeated it over again and again frantically. Give me the rattle, give it to me, hurry will you, give me the goddamn stuff. So that's the story, Sarah, by Mary Lavin. Sad and short. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye until next week.